Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Working Class Bowhunter podcast starts in 3, 2, 1. I think I left about four. No one ish. honestly really cares. Steve's calling me while I'm holding, getting ready for this deer to stand up. Glad you took this deer out. He doesn't even drive American. See, that deer's what's exactly what's wrong with this country, right? He doesn't even support local American-made deer-compatible vehicles. That one, that one arrow cost me thirty-three thousand dollars. Just aiming too long and just moved a little bit and it's like oh no it fired you know crap i knew as soon as it left it was just a little hot but he came right out in the field made a scrape right in the cornfield started grunting walked 30 yards made another scrape you're listening to the working class bow hunter that's right this is the podcast for billy joe lunch bucket the working man just like me and you my name's travis t-bone turner from the bone collector thank you for tuning in Episode number 63 here of the Working Class Bowhunter Podcast, coming to you straight from 1600 Buck Slayer Place in Sherrard, Illinois, right in the Bucketorium, for all you know. What's up, guys? Howdy. I always wait for a response, and it just doesn't happen. There's <laughs> nothing going on with that intro, man. But Podcasts just don't work that way. Yeah, it is, uh, is what it is. Uh, quick reminder, every uh, host on the episode, keep your phones off. That includes me. Um, workingclassbowhunter.com. We never plug our website. Oh. Look at me. I'm being an overachiever. Um, we got Good back. Job. Thank you. Last weekend, we were at the Iowa Deer Classic. Um, but first off, this episode is sponsored by... Creative Critters <laughs> Taxidermy. Yeah, yeah. You're an overachiever you there. Like you that? Sh- you yeah. overshot the achievement. All I'm, right. o- I'm all over the place. Uh, Creative Critters Taxidermy. Give Mark Reif a call uh, when you shoot a critter. Um, we don't have very, his number on hand. Be very creative <laughs> with it. We got stuffed. Smith's Custom Meats right there in Viola. Dude, Scott is such a great dude. You can't beat him. I, I love that guy to death. And, uh, and Badlands Hunting Packs. Seriously, we talk about Badlands Packs. Just 
buy everything you can from them, and you'll know exactly what we're talking about. That's buy Steve's everything. advertising. Just buy their stuff and yeah. trust our word. So, yeah, trust our word. Like, what are you going to do? Tell me I'm wrong. I know you're not. So Steve and I were at the um, Iowa Deer Classic last weekend, and you want to talk about busy? That place is always shoulder to shoulder oh. in there. Yeah, it was, every it year. was a good time, man. You know, we went there. We had our uh, our mobile podcasting equipment. We had, like, a private room, and... You're going to kind of wing the whole place and, you know, just try and, like, do episodes here and there. And um, everyone is just so busy. And we kind of got fed up to, like, trying to get in. It was so many people you couldn't get in to talk to anyone to do episodes. So We did – I mean, we did get to talk to – Melissa Bachman was out there. Yep. Dude, you guys want to talk about, like, a superstar role model for kids. Right. Every picture she was taking, there was little girls. Um, That's awesome. Just – they they look up to her. She's such a positive person. Right. Um. The Whitetail Adrenaline booth. Oh, Jared and his boys. That was the place to be. Yeah, that. They have a big old you, booth there. You oh, could they not, had a You could not get in there. Ton of bush light cans right up front, too. We oh, talked really? to Jared, um, and he was showing us the Bucky shot. The, he said that one of the G2s was like 16 and some. He showed, us, oh, he showed us other pictures. like <laughs> of like Screenshots from the, the video. The one he shot this year with his longbow? Yeah, yeah. Damn. Um, yeah, and then uh, and then yeah, we ended up we I, I shook Byron Ferguson's hand. That guy was so busy. He couldn't. I even, know. I didn't even know what he said to us because he's like, I don't know. I'm busy. Well, I'm like, him. I don't know what he said. <laughs> Sound like Boomhauer. Oh, uh, dude, he was rocking his like vest that he's rocked for fifty years, and we asked him for an episode. I I don't know if he said yes or no. Like I have it, no idea. He just like kind of looked at us and kind of moved his head in a couple different ways, and we're like, okay, cool. And he just did the same thing, and me and Kurt walked by, like, dude, did you hear what he said? No, no. They really need a bigger spot for that because it's getting bigger and bigger yeah. every year. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not very big now, but it's hard to get through the whole thing. Just how crowded yeah. it is. Yeah, man, I love that place. I do. It's just, I, it's it, it was <sighs> it's it, tough. It was busy. I mean we we talked to we talked to Bill Winky for maybe like three minutes, and like for that for it being that yeah that was like the greatest thing ever. Um, but. Uh, you want to talk about crazy busy? Lee and Tiffany's they, line to meet them. Oh, yeah, forget it. You can't even get in there. They uh, was it three miles long? Oh, yeah, it was about yeah. And their it bus always was, is. Their bus was parked out front. Kurt was about to pull in behind it, and we were just going to put the cone <laughs> right behind the subie. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, at one point we wanted to paint my face. Like, we almost like Steve. We were in line to get Steve's face like, painted, like the, face like, painting. Yeah, like, like the face kids? painting. Yeah, and we were going to get like a tiger or something. And we were like the plan was either we were just, we were just going to go stand in line to either meet Lee and Tiffany or just go back walk back up to Melissa Bachman just like nonchalantly. Just, <laughs> hey guys, you know how's, hey, it, how's, how's it, going? it going? How's it going? It would have trashed all credibility. You did? Um, did you have your working class shirt on then? No, um, no I was okay. the only one. The only one. So you'd have to take it off. You did, but that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of big deer. They have a classic. Um, at, you know there always is. At Iowa and Illinois, you're yeah. going to expect that. In Wisconsin as well. No, um, uh, I forgot. We ran into our buddy Sean Ryan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You um, guys did. Yeah, we, Sean Ryan's a good dude. Did you guys we, hear him through the whole thing? No, uh, no. He, he was a businessman. He was, was he? a businessman, yeah. No, as soon as we walk up to guy's a riot, man. Or, oh, he's oh, a we're, we're actually talking to, to Melissa, um, and he comes walking over. I was like, all right, we got to say hi to this guy because it's like the only time we can grab him. As he's walking past us to get back into like the um, – like into the main area because they had some stuff set up outside, and yeah, we talked to him and just he's like, "Yeah, guys, yeah, good to see you." I was like, "Why don't you set me up on uh, on one of them uh, carbon defiance?" And he set me up on the thirty four, and me and Kurt got to shoot it. 
And, I really liked uh, it. He put the uh, the limb stop option on there, and I I was impressed. And then I shot the uh, the podium X. That thing was <laughs> how was that? Well, it was it, you know it's a different. Um, it wasn't as quiet as the carbon. It's a yeah, it's a different. Um, I guess chapter of archery. You know, it's not. It's probably not exactly set up to your draw length and everything. Oh well, it was, but it's not like, like like when we talked when we had uh, T Bone and Pop or T Bone, um, Tim and Poppy on from the Bone Shed. Tom, 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 kids. Yeah, (laughs) Um, you know, you want those target bows. They say they you want them to talk to you, and that's the same thing he said when I shot it. I'm like, man, it feels different. Yeah, you want that bow to talk to you. You want to say anything? You want to know wrong with it? You want to know if it's if it's going left? You know you're shooting. I, you know I don't get that because I'm not that far into the target archery game. It's we're the whole different world. First we're bow hunters. You know we're second we're well I don't know if that's that. Yeah, second we're archers. I'm yeah. a bow hunter first and foremost. So it uh, it was it was pretty fun, <clears> man. I saw something I thought I'd never see. I saw <laughs> I saw a, a Mennonite wearing Skechers. Um, that was cool. We did see some of the best <laughs> bullets Iowa had to offer, though. Oh, I bet. Yeah. They were coming out of the woods. There. There straight straight guy, out of the Amana colonies. There was one guy that we saw with uh, with this awesome, awesome mullet, and uh, we ended up uh, after, at, like, it, a lot of people from the Classic ended up where we were to watch the fights, um, which is a fancy, fancy restaurant called Twin Peaks. Um, it's weird. All the girls coordinated their outfits but uh the one guy from the, uh, the like the best mullet mullet of the year was there so. i'm telling you guys everything best comes out of iowa you guys don't believe me mm, there was some uh interesting things we saw there too let's talk about so eric did you put the post up yesterday or today was it this morning yesterday no, it was yesterday yesterday which uh it's getting a lot of attention on our facebook and it, i need to put a picture up on our instagram eric had let me tell your story real quick so uh I'm driving home, and there's a property on the way home, so I figured I might as well stop and hit it, shed hunting quick. The neighbor's property or your property? It was my property. Okay. Well, it's not my own, but I get permission to hunt it, whatnot. It doesn't take that long, so I said, hell, why not? I'll just hit it quick. Do my normal route that I do every time. I walked by this same damn tree about 6,000 times and never noticed it, and I walked up over the hill. And all of a sudden, the sun was just hitting it just right. I'm like, you kind of give it that look over like what a couple of times. Like, what is that? That's not natural, you know? It's man-made. Yeah. Walk over, and there's a Remington Nylon 66 22 rifle leaning up against a tree. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdest thing ever. So weird, man. It's all rusty, and the squirrels chewed on it. And I wonder how long it's been out there and why it got left out there. Well, Did I someone... just want to know the story of someone that was out there, like squirrel hunting or something, why they just... Left it. Said, hey, where'd my gun go? It's probably a murder weapon. If it was a murder a, a weapon, they would, they would bury it. They wouldn't just lean it up against a tree. No one found it until you true. found it. That's true. <laughs> that's you true. Know. Uh, I mean, yeah, OJ's back on trial. I mean, that's a good point, man. I <laughs> <laughs> think I should turn it in. Uh, yeah, I would. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, did I you don't guys, know what uh, you do. Did you guys, uh, there was another post like that out in the desert. They found a gun that was like 100 years yeah, old. Same like, situation. Was one last year they found from like yeah, the Civil like War. 1844 or something. Just leaning up against a tree, and they're like, this is not a not well-traveled you know, area. It's, it's it crazy. Just, it but it's like out wasn't... of storms and branches falling. Like that thing just stayed leaning up against, you know, unless yeah. it was really just stuck down That's in the That's American-made right there, man. That's right. It's just crazy how what you can find in the woods, and you can walk by it a thousand times and not even notice it. 
It's really oh, interesting. Just like how a lot of people can scroll past this podcast but not uh, figure out the goodies inside. <laughs> well, I, you know, I I seen a post on Facebook. Someone from um, like a outdoor real estate company found like an old um, headstone in the middle of the woods. I did that see was that from, like, from like eighteen seventy seven or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, like something in the middle crazy. of the woods by itself. We'll do weird. we'll do that on a certain. Uh, um, maybe a certain episode will do like the weirdest thing or most unique thing you found in the woods. You know, we'll get a post about that and see right. what people have found. And... Yeah, because I, you know, that's an interesting topic. The woods is like a mysterious place. You know, because cool. you always you always stumble upon like tires and an old car or something. Oh, I know. I sit on them frequently when I'm. <laughs> you always do. Oh, dude, it's the perfect chair, man. What do you like yep. best? Hang on ladder or tires? Dude, it's it's got to be a. <laughs> That would be a BFG. Yeah, BFG. <laughs> so yeah. let's let's transition. So today on the show, um, in about two seconds here, we're going to have a really special guest, um, someone that I've looked up to in the hunting world and the archery world, and you, there's a lot to be learned from this guy. People who um, listen to his podcast are going to be super happy that, the, that he's going to be on here. I think this is the first time we've had someone else that has their own podcast, ain't it? Uh, that might be true. Yeah, I think that we is. know of. Yeah, no, we had Baker on. Well, well I he don't started know. his after really running it yet. I don't know. We but get, anyway, our, anyway. get our intern to fact check that. Anyway, um, <laughs> we'll just actually. I don't want to. You know, it's going to be obvious who it is. I feel like it's a surprise, but we're not lying. No, yeah, it's it, <laughs> I, it's not. It's it's in the in the title. Wait, who uh, is it? John Dudley oh, from God. Knock On and the Knock On Podcast um, and Knock On TV. Cause it, like, well, I, I always knock, assume people know knock well, on. See, knock, knock on, on like, knock on everything. And we'll talk to him about this, but it just seemed to like take over as like a thing. It's not just oh, it's just a show, but like kind of like how bone collectors. It's just a thing. I'm gonna say it right now, and I, you know, I'll tell him this when he gets on. I'm gonna tell him, but um, but we're gonna get into it with him. So um, hope you guys enjoy this, um, and let us know what you think. Share it up, and thanks for listening. Let's get him on the phone right now. Let's do it. All right, uh, so on the phone with us, um, you guys, you're going to have your mind blown. You're going to be hit with some information. So we'll give you a second here to get your pens and your pencils out and sheet of notebook paper, college ruled. Uh, John Dudley, how you doing, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Oh, the pleasure's well, all thank ours. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So let's talk John Dudley. Obviously, everyone knows you from Knock On, which – is one of my favorite shows. Um, a lot to learn from that show, from archery and hunting. Um, how did it all start for you? How did you get going in the, the outdoor world? Well, I mean, it, I guess starting in the outdoor world, it pretty much started from a real early age, being down in Mississippi, you know, like gigging frogs and shooting squirrels. And then, you know, by the time I was, I think towards the end of my ninth birthday, I ended up uh, starting bow hunting and bow hunted and started shooting competitively, I guess, about eight or nine years later, uh, all while still hunting. And then I started filming myself in, I think, 1997. I can't remember if it was 97 or 96. Might have been ninety five. I don't really remember, but uh, <laughs> filming yourself. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I've always, I've always enjoyed filming myself. And if you've seen much of the show, there's a high likelihood that you're going to see some uh, footage that's really not uh, cookie cutter and 
not over the shoulder, and that's yep. because it's just me. I'm hunting by myself, and I've always I've always really liked to build it. it it's a lot nicer now than back then because the cameras are about half the size. Right. Uh, but you know, but it's that's kind of what I did, and actually, my start in the TV business came from when I was shooting really well as a competitor and I was actually at a they don't have the tour anymore but it used to be called the uh, Cabela's tour it was a lot like the ASA or the IPO right. um, Cabela's had a tour for archery and a tour for bass fishing and a tour for walleye back then and for the, for the archery one uh, Dave Watson was actually the MC. Oh, really? Uh, he was the one. Nice. Yeah, a lot of people forget that, but Dave, that's kind of how Dave got his feet under him, too. He had just kind of left the Oak Ridge Boys, and uh, he was going to all the Cabela's tournaments and announcing, and during the pro shoot-offs, um, he would, he would kind of walk around and talk to the different shooters, and obviously, if if the show wasn't going, the mic would be off and he'd kind of be, you know, asking you more about your personal life. So yeah. I was really, I was really serious about hunting and I talked to Dave a lot about hunting and, um, he ended up asking me if I would, he had just started Bushnell's Secrets of the Hunt. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember, remember that show. It was on PNN. And <laughs> that might be just before, like when I was getting into it. Oh uh, no, no, no! I, I remember that. Yeah, TNN. Like, uh, what year was that? Was that like early two thousands? It had to have been. Yeah, well, it would have been late nineties, early yeah, late nineties, early two thousands. So I was ten and, in two thousand. Uh, so that that shows you where I'm at there. Uh, you know what was on <laughs> TNN on Monday nights? All right. Well, I guess I keep refusing to. to think that I'm old, but I, you know, I turned 40 in June and I keep, uh, I don't know. I think of my dad when he was 40, he seems a lot older than what I feel or, <laughs> or, or, <laughs> or seem like I look like right now. But anyway, uh, I went on a hunt with Dave. I wish I could get that footage. I actually have the footage, but it's on a beta track. So it's kind of, you know, those beta cassettes are pretty hard to to come by a player for those anymore. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> um, we were down and we shot, I shot a javelina at like 53 yards. And this was, you know, a 53 yard shot back in, uh, you know, 1998. That was a big deal. That you know, that was shot. like, I can imagine. Yeah. And I remember, we didn't really discuss how far it was, but I remember right after I shot it because it was it was really cool because a javelina was one of the Mackenzie targets on the tour, you know, and and they were always easy to know where the twelve ring was because it was always about one inch behind that white band yep. uh, that that they've got on them. So I drew back and literally just. Settled my pin right there and and shot and that was almost identical to a uh, 3D you know a Cabela's shot because Cabela's always had the longest courses they had a 50 plus yard max so 
I had seen 53-yard Adelinas in the Cabela's tour. So as soon as I made the shot, just naturally I turned to the camera and said, we call that a pinwheel. And it kind of <laughs> stuck. You know, Dave really liked it, and he had a lot of good response from it. So then uh, the next thing was we went on a hog hunt and it kind of, you know, kept going. And then the next year he asked me to come back and, uh, I shot a, well, it would have been the number two alligator in the world at the time. It was, um, I didn't use a bang stick and I didn't use, um, I didn't use a line. I actually just shot, shot him with a broadhead, but I shot a, you know, a 12-foot gator back then, and that was uh, a pretty, my dog, my dog just got let out, so she's excited, but that was a, <laughs> that was a pretty, um, a pretty big deal as well, and, and while that was going on, um, I was competing, let's see, there we go, I I was competing on four four tours, and I was working at Matthews. I just started, you know, I'd been at Matthews since the early, um, well, I guess it was 19, then in 97 I started there. There was about uh, 20 employees or something, but um, I filmed myself if I wasn't with Dave, and Dave started actually using footage that I was capturing myself and it just kept going. I ended up staying there for about nine years. And, um, I got the, like, I got the, I got, um, Bill Jordan's attention back in the late nineties. Right. Um, and until I, until I decided to change to the Ridge Reaper pattern this past year, I mean, I was, I was actually a pro staffer with Realtree for 20 years. A lot of people don't really know that. Mm-hmm. I, uh, Bill, Bill took me to the Milk River uh, for a, for it would have been for Monster Bucks 10. Oh yeah, and, I remember that one well. That I remember wanting that uh, that series so bad. The Monster Bucks 10 with the orange and the blue covers. Yep. Well, I didn't make the cut because I shot a whitetail at a distance that they did not want to put on air. So really, um, <laughs> yeah, it, and that's kind of com- cool. In this a is way. coming from the guy who shot a turkey from 105 yards out. No. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and you know, I I put that out there. I know there's, you know, there's. It's a difficult thing, you know, the, there's ethics involved with hunting and I, and I like to, I definitely like to preach ethics without a doubt, but Mm -hmm. you know, that when it comes to how much I was shooting at that distance, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is during the time I made that shot, I was actually, um, shooting for the u.s team then and you knew archery so it's just like you know (laughs) all i did was archery. i mean it's all i did and and in in 2000 
Well, it would have been when I shot that turkey, which I think was 2005 or six. Um, I had I had logged just under thirty six thousand arrows that I shot that year. Um, <laughs> Same string. Yeah. Well, and and it's and it's not it's not just that I shot that many arrows because that was like a year after I'd left Matthews. I was freelancing. I was working for myself. Um, I was really focused on getting a lot of content for my articles. I was doing a lot of R and D for Easton, a lot of ballistic, um, a lot of ballistic data with arrows and. I shot probably 30,000 or better of those arrows at 90 meters because when I shot with the team, you know, 90 meters separated a lot of the field when it came to score. So, you know, for me, that 90-meter mark was just another day in the yard. I mean, it was... (laughs) It was nothing new. This is, uh, oh, no. yeah, it just happens to be that this target's alive, you know? No, no big deal. Yeah. I mean, if you talk to any of my neighbors, they'll, I mean, actually, sorry, this phone's going off here, um, but a lot of um, a lot of my shooting even now is from up in my front yard, you know, shooting all the way across all the yards down to the bottom. So, you know, I... <laughs> I shoot, I practice more at longer distances than I do at a shorter distance, and that's just where I'm comfortable. It it magnifies my mistakes. It shows me my flaws, and um, even even back when I was uh, there for that real tree hunt, you know, during the day, at the Milk River, well, pretty much until your evening hunt, it's it's really boring. Uh, you know the the deer all the deer all leave first thing, uh, first thing in the morning they're gone, and then you pretty much have to wait until four o'clock in the afternoon before you can do anything, and then you go get your stand. So a lot of those guys would, you know, I think it's kind of funny because. You know, like right now, Nick Munt, uh, you know, and Michael Waddell, obviously everyone knows Michael. Michael is still, he was hunting some for real tree then, but he was, he was still filming. Yeah. And Nick Munt, Nick Munt was actually A guide, right? Well, he was guiding, but he was running camera for Bill. He was Bill's cameraman. And then, uh, if you remember, uh, one of the original producers of Bone Collector and also or Realtree Road Trips, and also um, he's a great producer now and editor. His name's Mark Womack. Yep. And um, I don't know if you know Mark, but I don't know him Mark, personally, but I know I know who he is. If, if I were to see him yeah. on TV. Yeah. Well, I was the first hunt Mark ever filmed, and. He was actually over my shoulder, and a deer came out, and it was it was close. I mean, it needed the deer. It was 20 yards, and I I told him, I said, are you on him? And he said, no. 
and the deer started walking and said, Yarn, he said, No, and he was going, going, going. Well, he got to fit he got to fifty yards and uh I said, Are you on him? And he said, Yeah, I'm on him and I kinda was like, Well crap, you know, now it's kind of a rip. But the deer was just eating in the alfalfa, so I went ahead and, Yeah, I went ahead and let one rip and poked him, and he ran out. Uh, I had hit him. I'd hit him back to lungs, liver. But honestly, I'm a big believer in if you hit an animal and you can follow up, that you should. So when I hit him, he kind of ran out there and stopped in the middle of the alfalfa field and was kind of hunched up, looking around. And before we even had time to talk, I had already ranged him and. He was right at about 96 yards, and I was just dialing my sight down. And like I said, during the day, you know, it's pretty boring. Everybody else would be talking and joking around. Well, yeah. I had a, I had a 3D target, and I was made, I was just shooting out in the yard. I was shooting 100-yard shots for five days uh, <laughs> from the top of this beat, from the top of this butte all the way down to camp, and. People were kind of looking at me like like I was crazy. Like, <laughs> wait, are, wait, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, and what's funny is it ranged a hundred, but back then your rangefinders didn't compensate oh. for the distance. So, right. because it was a like a long downhill shot, it was actually ninety six yards is what I shot it for, even though it was ranging at a hundred. Well, when this deer stopped. He stopped at 96 yards, so I had a mark. I literally had a pencil mark on my sight that I had been shooting that distance the whole week. And <laughs> what, are the, just, what are the odds of that? I mean, he's stopping know, at 96 yards. You've been shooting that all week. I know. and Well, and part of the problem, too, was on the first shot, Mark didn't have a um, a tree arm, so he kind of jumped, and the camera went up, and then it came down, so you didn't get to see the shot. Well, then the second one, he ran out there, and because he was hit kind of through the liver, you couldn't even tell he was hit. Yeah. Well, b- before he even had time to talk, I was already loaded and pulling back, and I-, I remember him saying, like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to kill that sucker. <laughs> and, and he's like, really and i said yeah and, and i shot and i mean it was just like a perfect shot it just pinned both of his elbows together and he just went straight down to a wheelbarrow and just face planted and i remember <laughs> he i turned and looked at him and he just like lowered the camera down and he was he sounded just like Tommy boy he was like that was awesome <laughs> So, so and, I would be. I would do the same thing. Now, are, are and, you? And well, we we came back and we were all excited because it's it's really weird. This this was like the first time Don Kiske was there. Uh, David Blanton was there, and the we gang. went back to camp. Oh yeah, <laughs> and this was like this was like when the gang was just getting together, right? And. Uh, I show up and it was like the first the first year that we had killed, and uh, well, just to tell, like Stan Potts was there and, and 
thing. It was a party. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, Stan Potts was there, and you, you know uh, Pat Nicole, right? Yep, well, yep, Pat, yep. Pat was a cameraman for HS, and and Stan was there hunting for HS Strut. Pat was filming. He shot a he shot a really little deer. And so this was like the first good deer. So when we pulled up, everybody was like high five and everybody was excited. Right. You know, and they want to see it on the TV. Well, (laughs) we take it inside and, you know, the first shot was kind of, you know, kind of a bob. And, you know, I could see Bill wasn't really excited that he, that he kind of blew that shot. Well, then it goes out there and stops and I ripped my bow back and people are like, Oh my God! What are you doing? Just, how far is that? And all of a sudden, you just saw the arrow just like go out of the top of the camera screen, and then it just rained in and just pinned those front arms together. And I remember Bill just said, "There's no way we can show people that." <laughs> I'd be like, and "Why not, he, man?" Yeah, and he said, "It's amazing. I can't believe it." but we can't show people that. And so I, I, I know there's, you know, there's, there's ethics involved and, you know, I certainly don't condone people just to go out and start winging arrows around those <laughs> kinds of distances. Right. Yeah. But in saying that you really have to appreciate the fact that, you know, I really, don't like taking those shots and uh i did a lot of a lot of lot of practice at those distances and for me it's just another it's just it's not like i'm saying now if you said shoot it at 200 i would probably be like what most people are thinking of at a hundred yard shot i'd be like (laughs) man i don't even really know where to aim what's my arrow gonna do you know i'd probably be more interested in watching the arrow than i would actually making the shot but for this it's just turn turn the sight and it's another walk in the park well that too and it's like a lot of people look at you and you know people don't realize like you know your equipment better than anyone else is going to know their equipment and when we go out and shoot well you know what the furthest i can shoot and i don't do it a lot so i would never shoot at an animal is i you know 90 95 yards and i just do that sometimes like you know if it'd be different if i did it all the time and i knew my equipment in and out and could tune it all on my my own then that's a different story you can do all that, so people see you doing this, and, and it is—it's super impressive. But to you, it's just like it's us another, shooting thirty yards. Yeah, it's another day, man. It's, which is crazy. The talent you have to have is—it's just insane. But you're obviously dedicated, and you're passionate about it to where you can do stuff like that. Yeah, because I can tell you, if it's if it's not hunting season, I literally have. If it's not hunting season, and you just show up right now i've got one bow that's sighted in for 18 meters and i've got another bow that i'm shooting 100 yards and i don't even have pins for the other distances (laughs) (laughs) so now are you the one that taught cameron haynes how to shoot or uh, yeah (laughs) because (laughs) he's no no i think you know cameron's cameron's done a lot for the sport and for a lot for bow hunting um you know, the one of the things that 
Tim and I have always had in common is I've always, I always credited my physical condition um, because I've always been an athlete and played in a lot of different sports and I'm really passionate about, I'm not, I'm not a runner like him. You know, I, I do run and I do bike. I like to do enough of it for me to stay, you know, in the, the weight that I want. But, um, I've always lifted, you know, I've, I've literally lifted five days a week my whole life, you know, and, uh, he's done a good job of bringing fitness and, and really bringing attention to the fact that athletes and hunters and successful hunters are kind of a common, you know, they, they, they right. all go together and it's what, changing our outlook from being like fat, lazy hunters to more of like a skilled, um, you know, just a skilled hunter. Yeah. Like you can't just go out and sit on a stump and, you know, shoot every deer that walks by like, you know, the general public might think, you know, it's a skilled, um, it's, I don't really know what I'm trying to get out here, but yeah, it's, it's more of, you know, and it's starting to be, you know, we've noticed with a lot of the, the, uh, on Instagram, especially a lot of the, the Western, uh, hunters, you know, these guys are like the mountain hunter guys. Yeah. And backpacking these, all mean, day, and... you know, cause yeah, you have to like ride horses to go hunting. You know, I hate, I hate driving more than 10 minutes to go hunting, but you know, these dudes are backpacking for three days and. You know, the, John, you got to understand that Steve is the exact opposite of a human being and build as you. So um, oh, yeah. hopefully you can mo- put some motivation into him. <laughs> so, so you're six, five, and I think you're like two nineteen. You can mix those numbers around and get my height and weight. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I want yeah. to talk about next is if you don't mind, um, I want to talk about some of the AAE fletching um, and you have your own knock on fletchings through them. Is that, is that right? Yep, yep, yeah. AED obviously has been a company that's made veins forever, and uh, I've used their stuff. Most of us have, have used AAE veins just if we shoot an Easton vein. You know, an Easton vein is pretty much an OEM AAE vein. Um, okay. However, a- AAE is making a lot of different styles now. The Elite you know, 360? The, yep. There's, I mean, there's a magnitude. And actually, just today, I filmed a segment for my show about comparing all the different veins and just how those play together to give you different results depending on, you know, if you're a hunter. You know, if you're a whitetail hunter and you're wanting to shoot a fixed blade, Broadhead. Like, I'll, just for an example, uh, this morning I got a message from a guy on, on my Facebook page, and he said, "Hey, I'd really like to try one of the Max Hunter veins. I'm going to be shooting a, a G5 uh, Magnum Striker or a G5 Magnum." And I just told him flat out, "Listen, that that's just not going to work. It's you know, it's." It's too little a vein for too big a broadhead. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for someone like that, because I've shot those heads before, and when I shot them, I was on a bear hunt, so I knew I was going to be having a 25-yard shot or less. Um, and 
I shot a four-inch a four-inch vein, and they steered fine. You know, the more fletching you have, the more control you're gonna, you know, you're gonna ultimately overpower that back end of the shaft. Okay. So, um, you know, if you've got an arrow that's where it has a good spine which, you know, the spine is the flex of the arrow. If the spine is matched properly to the bow, mm-hmm. uh, that's critical. But also, you need to have an arrow build that gives you a higher FOC or front of center with the spine that should be correct for you. Then if you have higher front of center, then your fletching has less importance. Okay. Front of center. It like doesn't have to work as lot. hard. Is that, would that be a good way to put that? Well, if first off, you know, you have to look at when it comes to spine, that's ultimately that arrow being matched to the force that you're applying to it so that it, it does bend the way that it needs to, mm-hmm. but it doesn't bend too much. If it's too stiff, then it doesn't bend at all. So then it'll almost come out like, you know, be like a pole holster having a pole that's too stiff for his weight, right? It right, would just right. be like he's sticking in and it wouldn't bend. Um, whereas if you gave him a pole that was too weak, he would stick it in there and it would just bend like a big, like a big horseshoe and then he'd kick straight back out. So if your spine is matched correctly, then you have to look at the characteristics of your front of center, um, which ideally you want an arrow that's spined correctly, but then when you have your insert and your point in the front of it, um, you want your FOC. I like to see an FOC for sure over 10. Uh, I prefer 12 percent. Um, okay. And if you have if you have that, then what you're doing is your arrow is flexing properly, and the front of that arrow is what is literally leading the rest. You know, it's a lot like if you tie a you know if you tie a string on a rock and you throw it. You know, the string follows the rock. That's kind of what you want your arrow to do. Um, however. If you have a broadhead on the front that the characteristic of it is to just not be repetitive and kind of have a mind of its own, which is kind of what happens with broadheads that have a lot of surface area and they're combined either with a bow and arrow that has a lot of speed, um, which for me, I found that fixed blade broadheads over, if you're shooting them over about 285 feet per second, things kind of start to go downhill pretty fast if you're trying to get them to, to really shoot good. And in those cases, if the broadhead starts to literally have a mind of its own, you combat that by choosing a fletching that will then overpower the control so you're almost counteracting it. Okay. So, you know, 
I like to have an arrow that's set up to where I have a good FOC. I shoot a smaller, more compact head on the front, which then allows me to not shoot too much fletching. And the reason that I like that is because, you know, fletching is, one, it's drag, and two, it's what wind is going to affect the most. So the more fletching you have, the more surface area you have, the more, you know, the more surface area you have, any type of crosswind has obviously got more to push against. Yeah, more effect on the arrow. Right. I mean, you know, if you kind of take three of your fingers and stack them together and kind of stick them out your window going down the road, it's going to pull your hand back. Well, if you pull one finger in and you only have two fingers, well, it's a lot less resistance. You know, you go down to one finger, it's even less. And so that same type of concept applies with fletching. If you have huge fletchings with a crosswind, you're going to have a lot of movement and you know that that plays in that plays into a big part of long distance shooting too anything over that 50 yard mark there's a lot of math that goes in mm-hmm. so for me you know on a lot of those shots like that turkey you know i was there was not a drop of wind you know there was none So, and I also know, you know, if you shoot a lot, and a lot of good 3D shooters are this way, you know, a really good 3D shooter can step up to a target, and they can almost know how far the target is just by hearing the shooter in front of them shoot at it. Because if everyone's shooting at about 280 feet per second, you actually start to know what that down click, you know, down whack i mean or which is insane I mean, there's a lot of people that don't even think about that part of it oh yeah it's totally true they i mean back when i was trying to learn how to judge 3d targets they actually had tapes that just would record the, the travel you know the hang time of an arrow at each distance <laughs> and you could you know i would play it in my car Wow. It's like this arrow. This arrow's because everyone had to shoot 280 feet per second in ASA. That was the max. So that's what everyone shot. So if you knew a 40 yard shot went air whack, then you you know you could hear that. <laughs> or if it was air whack, you know there's like a second delay between. You just it, it was really it was a it was almost like a secondary assurance. When you step up to a target, you have no idea how far it is. Yeah. You kind of look at it, and you're like, you know what? My best guess, I'm thinking this this shot. Because there are targets where if they set them up right, you could stay. Some people would stand there and say, I don't know if it's 40 or 50. Yeah. Well, if you stand there and you're like, I think this target's close to 40 yards, and then, the guy, and then you know, and you're setting your sight, and then the guy in front of you steps up and shoots and it's like down whack you know it's not 40 it's like right. okay i mean i made a mistake so you know keeping that speed around that 280 mark 
it allows you to control a magnitude of broadheads. I really like, I like a lot of the shorter, more compact hundred grain heads. Okay. Uh, just, just because of the flight characteristics. And there's a lot that fly really good. I mean, there's right now, the majority of the time I'm shooting rage hypodermics. I really like those. I prefer mechanical, um, personally, um, and that's and a huge controversy, shoot- mechanical versus fixed blades, and I like them both. Yep, yeah, it's a big controversy, and we'll still be having it in 20 years. Oh, yeah, so, no doubt. I mean, it's, my, my, con- my thinking on it is this, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I might probably disagree with Cam um, because I've heard him talk on the subject. My feeling is a mechanical head is not good in one situation, and that's when it hits a dead center arm bone or knuckle. Well, Mm -hmm. I just look at the size of an animal's cavity, and then I look at the percentage of mass, which would be that particular bone, and it's a way lower percentage than shooting that deer or animal from the heart all the way back to the flanks or even back to the back legs for that matter. Mm -hmm. If you make a bad shot anywhere other than bone, the mechanical and the larger cut is going to be what you would want to have. Right. Yep. You know, but, you know, I can tell you, would I rather shoot an arm bone with a mechanical? No. But I'm way less likely. I've shot, you know, I've shot way more deer behind the vitals than I ever have forward of them. That's just me. Yeah, which I guess and is it's with a better the, shot. With I mean, the fixed blade, it, or I mean with a mechanical, I mean, that's it's just going to go and tear stuff up that way. Yeah, if you send a two-inch rage through the guts, it's a dead animal. Oh, if, for sure. If you play your if you play your cards right, you know you shoot you shoot an inch and a quarter fixed blade through there. Mm, I mean, you're getting what you're yeah. getting when you see the blade. You know, with the fixed blade, it opens up. And this year, I played with. Uh, the uh, the T three from G five and I also I experimented with the Schwacker and I I was really happy with both both broadheads and I was normally like a fixed blade muzzy guy, um, but like you're saying you just it's awesome when they hit because they just they tear stuff up you know that's what they're meant to do and they fly great so. Well, I shot. I made an extreme shot with the T three, probably. I think it was eight or nine years ago. I was in Africa. I really, really wanted um, a black wildebeest. They're really cool. Mm-hmm. They're kind of kind of remind me of my whole show theme. They're they're punk rockers. They got a mohawk, big oh, yeah. old like go, goatee looking thing. Yeah. They kind of got like they almost look like they've got a really bad um, like frosty tip 
um, Jay Gregory dyed hair job. <laughs> kind of cool. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> uh, no and, comments. Uh, they, they are plains animals. They do not come to water. Um, well, I mean, they don't come to water in the day. They just, like, graze around, and they they just shy away from everything. They stay out in the wide open. And for, like, seven days, I was sitting in this blind every day watching this herd of black wildebeest and there was one magnificent one in there they would just be out there grazing it like well it was a long shot and it was like within five yards every single day so uh the next day i had them you know i actually came in for lunch which is normally against my policy as a hunter i really like to hunt through the middle <laughs> See, of the day but when steve hunts it's I, mostly lunch yeah it's it's lunch <laughs> It's lunch starting at seven a.m. Oh, okay. Well, I'm 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 off that schedule. I'm I'm, I'm a mid. I like the I love the midday hunting, but I went I went and just practiced back at camp at that exact yardage. We put like a little block target out. I was just dropping bombs, and I told the guy, I said, "Listen, dude, I can make this shot," and he said, "Well." I don't know. I don't really. I don't really know if I believe you. And actually, if you watch, um, if you watch the show, which on the Knock on Archery YouTube site, we have all of our past episode, uh, past seasons episodes on there for free. You have a great YouTube channel. I, I love that you put all that content out there for everyone. That's I love that. I just got to tell you that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. That's, I mean, and that's a big part of of what I do. You know, we kind of obviously this is kind of just an open open forum chat. We don't really have anything necessarily on like on our set list of what we're going to talk about. But you know, a big part of what I do is really giving back and trying to deliver this information that I've learned throughout my career and very very few people very few people know what homework I've done and where I came from in this industry because I've kind of just been I've been in the shadows a lot you know I've obviously I have knock on TV and that's good and I've always been a writer and stuff like that but in the podcast yeah now the podcasts are are going gangbusters um you know it's really it's actually really cool um there was another group of guys that were doing um a podcast and actually joe rogan from the ufc just flat out says you know one of my favorite archery podcasts is john dudley's he's like that's just there's so much information and that's what i want i want people to just be able to listen to something where they're learning because yeah. you, you know when it comes to just killing big stuff i mean michael does that good lee and tiffany do that really good you know there's so many people that do a good job of just going out and filming awesome hunts you know jim shockey but i just think that you know for me and what i've given to the to the archery community and what I put into the archery community and what I work towards is 
is I want to be one of the best educators ever. I mean, well, you know, I want I want a new generation to grow up and say, listen, when it's all said and done, this was where I went and got the most help without without there being any obstruction. And you know, that was right. always hard for me when I when I came up through the through the shooting ranks. It was really hard to get the shooters that really knew a lot to give you all that information because yeah. some people are worried about they don't want to give away their secrets. Better. Yeah, you might get better than them. And honestly, I've never gave a crap about that. I competed. I competed for myself. I had. I wanted to know. I wanted to know. Can I beat certain? archers that I looked up to in certain formats. And when I checked my whole list off, I was comfortable saying that I competed. I enjoyed it. I loved it. But I want to take everything that I know and I want to literally like throw it in this archery pot. And then I want to come back and just kind of look and just have a good time watching as all these new people start taking this information and the whole the whole cream of the crop has just continually moved around because there isn't just a single dominant force. You know, right now Levi's act obviously very, very dominant, but and and the same with like Jesse Broadwater. But when I look at when I look at international competition, when I competed, the U.S. in the compound <laughs> was so dominant that, and it, was, it wasn't because the other people didn't have the work ethic. It wasn't because the other countries mm-hmm. didn't have as good as shooters. Yeah. It was because they didn't have the knowledge. You know, I like, I remember going to, to India and working with the National Olympic team for three weeks. And some of the national team shooters had wooden peeps in their strings that they had literally <laughs> carved out of the little limb because they couldn't wow. they couldn't get a true peep. They literally wow. could not get a true peep imported in and if they wanted to try a different size, they like whittled them out of a piece of wood and drilled a hole through it. And that's what they're out shooting in World Cup events with. Yeah. Um, so, that's crazy. On, on one end, that's like, oh, really? But on the other end, it's like, okay, that's really cool. You know, you're you're out there whittling a piece of wood and you're shooting for Olympic gold. Like, I, I could see that going either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, well, the reality is, they didn't have a chance when they're doing that, you know. But, yeah, right, right. It's, you know, a for it, effort. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just really wanna, I wanna kind of go down as, as, and it's funny. Uh, as a hunter, I feel like I've, I feel like I've had a, a spectacular career if you want to call it that as a hunter i feel like i feel like i've really done some some tough hunts some awesome hunts um i've well honestly 
Um, the my my good friend Mike Looper, he's the VP at Hoyt, and he came out this year and hunted with me here in Iowa, and he saw how much chaos goes on when you're trying to hunt during the rut. And I remember the day after he left because he shot we we rattled in a great great buck for him, and he shot a great buck. But then a day after he left one of the bucks that I was really hunting hard, I I shot him and I filmed it. And I remember him saying he's like, you know, there should be an a there there needs to be an award for someone who films himself shoot this quality of animal. Because he said <laughs> I agree. No, yeah. No you know, no one no one goes out and shoots, you know, two dozen animals a year on film and 80% of it's self-filmed. It's insane. You know. It's insane. See, that? yeah, and, that was one of the things I wanted to, and we're, like, running short on time, but I, I remember when you said that uh, I watched you do the uh, the Hoyt Carbon Defiant video, and it's on YouTube, and you're doing a review, and you're like, oh, let me go see if I can test this out. You take it out, and you shoot a really nice deer that you just filmed yourself first day. Yeah, I watched that. that I watched yeah. that, huh? Yeah. And we actually got a chance to shoot a, a carbon defiant up in your neck of the woods, so we're thinking that maybe if we do that and we just get up there with like a camera or something, we'll uh, we'll It'll have that kind of us. luck because because that's how it works, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's actually the deer that I was talking about because when he left, <clears throat> I talked him into uh, I talked him into leaving one of those bows with me, and I told him I said. <laughs> I said, I'm going to kill a deer with this bubble in the next two days. And he had his doubts just about that, let alone me being able to film it. And, I watched uh, that hunt and I could not believe you self-filmed. I just, it's the coolest thing that you do that because no one really does it. You know, and major, you know, that's a top name show like what you have. No one that and, I'm and, aware and of that, besides you films himself that, you know, that well. And it's just the difficulty behind it. I mean, oh, I've all tried it and it's terrible. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, and and honestly, I think if I didn't know, if I didn't have so much homework already invested in my shooting, I really don't think that I could. I don't think that I could be successful that way. I know that when I go out and I'm filming, if I range the animal. And the animal is in the right shot angle and isn't like wired, then it's over. I yeah. mean, if it if it's triple digits or less, it's I have no question I'm going to hit that animal. See, that's awesome. That's amazing. Not a lot of people can say they can do that. Well, John, we're getting to the end of our time here, man. I I want to do part two. I want to do part three, part four, part five, part six. So much there's, information. There's so much we wanted to get. Uh, there's I I right now I can just think of so much, just so much other stuff that I want to talk to you about that we didn't get to. Um, but I just want to thank you for sharing your knowledge with hunting and archery, and the fact that you put all your stuff on YouTube. I don't have outdoor channel and sportsman channel, so when I get on YouTube to watch hunting, your channel is the first place I go, and I mean, you get, any, any technical tips, I go right to your yeah. website. Yeah, Basically, you, Kurt's saying hashtag blessed. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so you, I know 
we all like to look up our stuff on YouTube. You got to make your way over to his YouTube channel. Um, go ahead. What's what can they type in? John Dudley Knock On. That'll bring you right to it. Is but <laughs> yeah. Well, the YouTube channel is Knock On Archery, um, and I guess before I kind of make a call out to my stuff, I guess I want to I want to first say you know thanks to all you guys for having me on, and obviously thanks for you know saying the kind words um but yeah so much of of what i do every day in my effort is really put into the articles and the podcast and um you know you can go to the knock on podcast or on itunes or you can go to knockon.podbean.com we'll put that link in the description Yep, knock on uh, .podbean.com. That's the place for the podcast or iTunes. Uh, they're really good. I mean, the thing with TV is I'm limited, and it's actually a frustration for me because I'm really, really limited with, especially now, I'm limited on what I can talk about. I'm limited on what I can show people. I'm limited on how long I can be on the camera before I have to change the angle. There's like so many rules to TV now that it really sucks for being, you know, when, when I'm trying to do what I want to do because so much of TV right now is structured around a hunting show, not an educational show, which is unfortunate Um, kind you know, in a certain aspect. Yep. Yep. And, and I can tell you that, uh, you know, if you go to the Knock on Archery YouTube site, you know, I post photos there and also the Knock on, let's see, yeah, it's Knock on Archery for YouTube, but for Facebook or Instagram, I'm, I actually like Instagram the most. Yeah. Um, well, your you Knocked know, and like, Ready to Rock videos are, I love those. Yeah. And actually that we just finished today, um, the Knock and Ready to Rock series from last year, which it's literally how to build a bow start to finish, uh, yep. taking a bow, brand new bow out of the box and getting it yeah. ready to shoot. I love that. Um, we're going to, I decided to combine that whole uh, season of segments into one, uh, one full length thing. And, um, I'm actually going to be launching that tomorrow. Um, it's over an hour long, and I've decided to to put it out there for free. That's uh, awesome. So, yeah, that's that'll be a that'll be a good thing for the archer community, and you know, it's it's a really in depth thing for the people that are wanting to to start doing their own stuff, which I think is really, really important for anybody that, you know, wants to move their archery to a new level. You owe it to yourself to learn how to do this stuff yourself. And that's what I'm getting into right now, because I'm really hands-on, and I really want to know how to do all this stuff myself. Your you, John's YouTube is a great place that's to go. Yeah, that's a, I, that's a every place I go to. Go. Um, also, we want to, want to mention here before we uh, do run out of time... <clears throat> Go to knockonarchery.com. You have probably the coolest looking, you know, product that's out there, like shirts, (laughs) T-shirts. 
Best everything. logo ever. Best logo. And if you guys are up in the uh, Ottawa area, the Bone Shed carries uh, some knock-on stuff. Uh, ask for Tom. Ask for Tim Kitts. No, ask for Tom because he goes by Tom now. Oh, yeah, that's not true. <laughs> Great people up there at the Bone Shed. Yeah, and I will be buying some of your shirts, John. Those things are awesome. The one where one's splitting the other knock, one arrow's Robin Hood and the another arrow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. we... You know, if, if you, I guess, I'm I'm always fairly reluctant to like kind of solicit and kind of call myself out. It's actually been nice being on someone else's podcast because I always kind of feel weird talking about too much of <laughs> what I what I've done or whatever on my own <laughs> podcast. But um, well, we'll have you I'll back take, anytime you want to be on. Yeah, and if you guys want him back, uh, you he said minimum of. 30,000 t-shirts have to move before he'll even consider coming back on. So, guys, go to knockonarchery.com and go buy as many shirts as you can. Well, yeah. He didn't really say that. No. (laughs) No. No. um, I mean, I know that uh, I would certainly like it because what I was going to say is, you know, a a big way that people can give back to what I'm what I'm putting out there if because I'm putting stuff out there for free, just like, you know, when I put this new knock and ready to rock video out there, you know, there's probably between filming it, having the material for it, editing it, producing it, you know, I've probably got, you know, 20 hours into that, 30 hours, 40 hours. So, a big way that, you know, I call on people that like what I'm doing to support me because, you know, a lot of the articles that I do in Europe, I do for free. I write them for the magazines just because I want to make sure that they're putting good information out there. And in the end, the way to show support to to the information is, yeah, go and, and you know, buy a knock-on hat or a shirt and, more importantly, for sure, for wear sure. it, you know, because a big out. part of <laughs> yeah, a big <laughs> part of what I'm doing is I'm trying. I just really wanted to create a brand that was not. I'm an Easton guy. I'm a Carbon Express guy. Right, right. I'm a Botech guy. You know, I'm a I'm a Matthews guy. I'm a Hoyt guy. I wanted it to be. I'm an Archer. For sure, because and you killed it. You, you know, you I, nailed it. You nailed it on the head. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the only way we're going to, we're going to move forward as an industry. And, right. and I can tell, I can tell everybody out there because a big part of this podcast is, is going to be hunters. And the one thing that I'll tell all you is, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of had a double edged sword by doing all this competing and traveling that I've done for archery and that is yes I've seen you know more than a million miles of this world but I've also got to see firsthand places like Australia where they've you know where people do not have a gun they literally took their guns piled them up burned them I've been in places like England where you know 
a, a nice pheasant like came out in front of the target and I kind of, my eyes lit up and they looked at me like, you're going to jail if you shoot that with a bow. You know, you literally, there's places. It's crazy. Most, most of those places, most of Europe, you are not allowed to bow hunt. It is against the law. It's unethical to them. It's insane. And, and it's a right that was taking that was taken away because there was such a divide that there wasn't a strong enough voice to stand up for what they wanted. Yeah. And we don't want to be that way. We got to stick together. I agree completely. We gotta, you know, and we need to police ourselves. You know, we got to, you know, one thing I'll, that I'll say is what I, what I value the most in what I do as a hunter is, you know, taking good pictures uh when i video you know i'm really trying to you know stick their tongues in wipe the blood up you know the, it's all about respect the, really at the end of it you yeah. want to wrap it up and just, yeah and, absolutely and, for sure. and what what we have to realize is we're a small little chunk of this whole nation right now and there's a big movement towards to shut us out hunting yeah towards hunting not being ethical so the last thing we want to do is show that you know show that kind of blood and guts type side of it we need to to show it as a respect and yeah. if we do there's we're going to have a lot better success and we're going to have a much much easier fight i can assure you that for sure yeah Hey, John, we're running short on time here. We really appreciate you being on. It means a lot to us. We're all big fans. Um, I hope that we can have you on again. Um, you know, our good buddy Tim Kitts, you know, his buddies Tom. with Tim Kitts um, oh, yeah. set us up with you. So <laughs> just thank you so much for being on. Everything you do for archery and the hunting industry, um, I'll be a fan forever, and you will see the working class bull hunter guys rocking some knock-on oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. gear. <laughs> and uh, we'll be sure – to post that stuff up online, we'll tag you. And everyone else, go get yourself some knock-on gear. Um, tag them online. Show your support. Um, in my opinion, we owe it to you for what you've done. So, Absolutely. Hats, um, hats off to you, sir. So, well, knock I appreciate on, it, guys. A, a knock-on <laughs> hat off to you from knockonarchery.com. So, guys, thank you so much for listening to the show. We hope you enjoyed it. Give it a share. Go check out Knock-On, the podcast, the show, everything, the YouTube channel, and you know what to do. Go shoot your bow. Thanks, guys. Oh, that's awesome. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.